This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we are going to take a little bit of a detour and talk to somebody who's not predominantly a middle market commercial producer, but has a lot of really cool experience for us to talk about that you very well may just figure out a way to make your business better by hearing this guy talk. I am talking about the one and only Cyrus Jaffrey from the great state of Nebraska. What's up, man? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk a little bit, but you know, talk, tell us a little bit about your agency, kind of what, what you're, what you're doing every day, sprinkle in a little backstory as much or as little as you want to. I know you've got a lot of interesting stuff that led you to get to where you're at. So feel free to talk about as much or as little as you want. Yeah, no, I appreciate you, David. A uh, long time listener, man. First time on. So I appreciate you having me on. I, uh, yeah, Cyrus Jaffrey, man. I'm, I'm an agency owner here in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, I'm originally from Afghanistan. I think a lot of people don't know that about me. I was born there. I was about two years old when actually our house got bombed back in Afghanistan and um, got out of there somewhat, somehow. Long story. My book comes out here in the next couple of weeks, which kind of goes through the story of it all. Came to the came to Pakistan neighboring country for for about uh, twelve years, and then became a refugee of um, uh, of the United States in two thousand and two. So moved to Colorado in two thousand and two as, as a as a refugee, knowing no English whatsoever, single mom, and nine uh, eleven happened right September 11, 2000, 2001. and I moved here six months later, like from Afghanistan, knowing no English at a predominantly white high school as a freshman. Me and my older brother, he was a sophomore. Uh, some difficult times, man, some difficult times. But all that stuff teaches you different lessons in life, man. It was God's way of making me stronger is how I saw it. At the time, you don't know. You're like, what is going on? Why don't people like me? But cause, so long story short, got to, got to Nebraska because my aunt lives here. Got into the insurance industry because my father-in-law is a state farm agent. I walked into his house once I met his wife, met his daughter. And I walked into his house. I'm like, man, on a golf course, 18th hole, pool. I was like, what do you do for a living? He goes, I'm a state farm agent. I was like, all right, I'm going to be a state farm agent. 
So became an agent for about six years, uh, 2013 to 2019, and left in 2019, and now on the on the brokerage side and a couple of other sides of our business as well. It's funny, man, because you when you said you went from Afghanistan to Pakistan to the United States, I'm fairly certain that nowhere in Afghanistan, Pakistan, or anywhere in between, there are posters advertising, come to Nebraska. It's beautiful <laughs> this time of year. So I'm glad you closed the loop for what actually drew you there. And I mean, I, I'm thinking a couple things on this, man. Number one, I don't know that I have ever talked to somebody from Nebraska in my circles of talking to people from all over the place that they haven't been like the nicest freaking person I've ever met in my life, man. Like, I don't even know what road rage would look like in Nebraska or if it even exists, because seriously, all my agent friends from there are just the nicest people you would ever meet. You know, you could only imagine what it would be like, you know having people like that as neighbors, especially when you live where I live. I remember when I moved back to Tampa from Birmingham, it took me all of about two minutes to figure out that when you put your blinker on, that meant that the person in the other lane was not going to slow down and let you over. They were going to speed up. So I had to master the, you know, the, the, the fake move where I faked over once and let them bounce back off. And then I'd cut cut them off with no blinker. They forced you to be a bad driver down here, Cyrus. I don't know what to tell you, but <laughs> It's interesting, Nebraska. And so, I mean, I think just based off of what I know about the, the, and I'm being dead serious when I say this, this isn't limited to like five people. It's like a couple dozen people. Mm -hmm. They're just all really good salt of the earth quality people. Probably not the bad, the, the worst place for you to land, to be honest with you, different than what you were accustomed to. But I think for is, is, um, welcoming is in, in in just generally nice is what the people have been that I've met. I, I can't imagine it was horrible. I mean, there's no, no place is going to be easy to move when you're a freshman in high school. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. There, that place doesn't exist there. I mean, and I, you know, I talk about this all the time. You know, I, when I grew up, when I was growing up, we moved probably every two and a half to three years at the most three years. Because my dad was in corporate America, he wanted to advance, take on more responsibility, make more money, and that required relocating with the company he was with or moving to another opportunity. I don't hold that against him in, in any in any way, shape, or form. It sucked at the time. I mean, it absolutely hated it, you know, because I would be, you know, in middle school or elementary school, and I would have finally gotten settled in and started making some friends, and then boom. Oh, we're moving over the summer, you mm. know, but I think that when you look back today, now that I'm an adult and can be objective about it, the fact that I had to be put in uncomfortable positions every two and a half to three years <laughs> at a time when you're really not equipped, like kids aren't mature enough mentally, emotionally, physically, any of that to handle that situation very well. So when you're put into that position and you're forced to adapt and learn how to adapt, it definitely prepares you for a lot more as you get older. I honestly believe one of the reasons why I'm able to be a producer with any level of success is just because of what I was conditioned to deal with growing up. Oh, I would agree, man. I would agree. I think a lot of people that come from those backgrounds are really good at sales. You know, because they just find a way to kind of figure it out. They've dealt with so much adversity and you just kind of 
you kind of become a better version of yourself, I guess, going through all that stuff, you know, where other people are, you know, just complaining about this or that and all this stuff. We're like, you know, we've kind of dealt with it all. What what else do you got for us? Yeah, what you else know? you got? Come on, that's all yeah. you got. Bring give me, give me something else. But I mean, in, in reality, it's really, really, you know, interesting to look back and see. And I, you know, your background leaving Afghanistan and coming here as a refugee in no way, shape, or form am I even trying to compare <laughs> the fact I moved every couple of years. Not the same thing. But talk a little bit about your book, man. I don't want you to spill the beans, but. Yeah. You know, what what led you to write a book? Why did you want to do that? I mean, I've, I've been down that road myself, so I know what it was like and how I felt doing it, how I felt during it, how I felt afterwards and all of that. What what? Why did you want to put your put your story into into a book? Yeah, you know what, man, I was I don't know. I'm, I was maybe maybe ashamed of even like talking about my story of where I came from, because when you come here, you know, at a young age. You go through high school, like you don't want to let like girls or other people know that like, oh, you're from Afghanistan. You don't know what you're doing and all this stuff. Right. You want to I played started playing soccer. So I kind of started to get to getting to know a lot of people. And then after college, same thing, man. Like if you talk to anybody in college, I would say 95 percent of people, they'd be like Cyrus from Afghanistan. No way. I, I don't know if I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. Like it's, it's I'm, I feel like I feel terrible saying this at this point. But I, I felt through all that until about probably two, three years ago, man, when I just kind of realized that, like, it's a part of my life. It's who I am and no reason to shy away from it, man, because it's made me stronger. It's made me a better person and all my life story and all that. So I just wanted to put it on a piece of paper, man, because if you think about it, we do this. We're in this business for a legacy. It's one of my biggest reasons I left State Farm. I want to build a legacy for my kids and grandkids, build generational wealth. And I truly believe Independent agency is the way you can build generational wealth if you're doing some things right. And I and for me to do that, because think about it, 100 years from now, the one thing that will be alive for me is maybe my grandkids or my kids, hopefully, but a book will stick around for a very, very long time. Um, and it's just going to keep spreading, spreading that word. Um, so the book is, yeah, it was because of generational, generational for my kids and grandkids for, for them to be able to, to hear it and read it. What was dad about? What did he do? How did he get here? Uh, but at the end of it, there's a lot of it's a lot about how to deal with adversity. I've gone through a lot of stuff. The book is all about, OK, here's what happened. Well, how did you deal with it? How did you get out of it? And some of the lessons that you can learn uh, to become a better person from adversity. So that's one of the biggest reasons, man, I wrote the book. So here's a question for you, man. This one, actually, um, I did not realize the timing of when all of this happened, but probably not the best time to be relocating to the UF, U.S. from Afghanistan. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can remember, um, you know, being when I was when I was a younger kid, I remember there being unrest in that part of the world. I remember Afghanistan coming up. I remember Billy Joel talking about Russians in Afghanistan when, you know, he did. We didn't start the fire and all of that. But I feel like, you know, there was such a huge concentration of of uh, Americans attention that was on that part of the world. Did you find yourself in any tough to deal with situations just because you were dealing with people who didn't really understand, you know, what, what was happening over there? Number one, and how you didn't really, I mean, obviously didn't have anything to do with it as a ninth grade, mm -hmm. you know, person from Afghan, you know, an Afghan person, what, you know, what, what was some of that like? Cause I've got to believe that that was still long enough ago, man, 
there was a point in our in my life where bullying bullying started. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we started calling it bullying and people in a position of authority started doing something about it. But when I was a kid, there was no such thing. It was called picking on you and you either punched somebody or you got punched. That's how it got mm-hmm. dealt with. And it mm-hmm. was neighborhood justice. And, you know, that's such a foreign concept to my kids these days. But it really is the case, man. I mean, when I grew up, it's not like I lived in in a horrible neighborhood, you know, where I had to worry about drug dealers and this, that, or the other. I lived in suburban America, but, you know, I was always the new kid. I was always the kid that was a little different. Um, You know, I was in, I don't say this from a bragging position. I say it to help people understand. I was in band. I was in the gifted program. I had so many marks against me for being a nerd or weird or different than everybody else. And I and all of that ended up started, you know, coming coming to light when I would relocate. I think probably the best relocation we ever made was my junior year of high school, you know, a couple of months into my junior year when we moved to West Virginia. And West Virginia was actually so far behind Florida from, you know, in terms of just how it had evolved and everything else that I felt like. I finally get a free pass, man. These I, like I, I look like I'm coming from the future to these people, so I don't it, it, I don't look as bad. But what was that like as a ninth grader, just having to assimilate to a new culture, a new country, a new educational system, and all of that? Yeah, it was tough, man. I wish I could tell you it was easy, and it was tough. It was extremely it was extremely tough because as a kid, man, like I was a kid, man at 14, like my daughter's seven, and that's another six seven years. Like she would be kind of what I was when I moved here. And first of all, like I had to be an adult because like I didn't have a dad. My mom didn't speak English. I was kind of on my own. Right. So that was really tough. And then you go to school and you kind of are just getting bullied and made fun of. And I was in English as a second language class all the way until my senior year of high school. Oh, I wow. Taking, I was I remember taking a, a freshman English my senior year of high school because for me to go get a division one soccer scholarship, I needed to do the English nine. And I never did an English nine because I did ESL. So long story short, just like you, man, it was it was tough. It was challenging. But at the same time, uh, it was one of those things where there are certain people that can handle it. There are certain people that just kind of they just get defeated, man. They go stay in their room and they don't fight back. Right. I mean, my dad has always taught me, dude, like you don't take like you don't take that from people. So you just step up and do what you can do potentially to protect yourself, first of all. But don't ever let them do it the first time and not say something back because they're going to keep doing it. Right. Because once they see that you're basically vulnerable and they can see those things, but by no means be disrespectful. I was being disrespectful. I'd be like, hey, man, like. I don't like that. I'm going to walk away. Please don't talk to me like that. Something like that. Right. And because I was, I was, I was 14. I obviously said it in a little bit of different, different way of saying it. Cause I didn't know any English. I just kind of butchered my way through it, but I just didn't let people do that. But my brother did dude, my brother got caught into that mix. It got into his head. He was a year or two older than me right now. He's disabled in my mom's basement. Unfortunately, he got in a pretty bad car accident. But I promise you, man, it's from all the trauma and all the bullying and everything that he got. It got inside of him. He never got out of it. After college, he got in with the wrong crowd and he just felt always as an outsider. And when you feel as an outsider, you always want to defend yourself and you're seeing it as like the world is against you. And that doesn't take you very far, man. But for me, I fought back. I got into soccer. 
once I got into soccer, man, I was really good. I got on varsity right away. People started liking me. I had some success. I was like, okay, I'm good stuff. I got my confidence back. Just like sales, man. You need a little bit of confidence. In the morning, you wake up, you close one deal. Look at that energy keep going, man. But until, but if you don't get one in the morning, you have a bad morning, that energy kind of keeps stays with you. And it almost like ruins your day if you think about it, right? That's the same mentality for me as I was good at something and it just took off and it's the other side for my brother. So how did, you know, soccer is an interesting sport. I personally have never played it. I'm, I don't necessarily care for it. I will watch the World Cup when it's on. And I shouldn't say that I don't care for it. It's just I don't I don't know all the nuances like I do other sports, right? What I do know is that field is massive. Mm -hmm. And you mm -hmm. have to be in really good shape to cover any kind of ground on that field. So I have to believe practicing, conditioning, all of that stuff is just 100% paramount. And in, and in reality, I don't care what sport it is that you play. I played baseball my entire life. I played also played basketball and football as I got older, but I don't care what it is that you do. It could be sales. It could be, you know, playing a sport. It could be playing a musical instrument. If you don't get the reps in to practice and make sure that you're prepared, you're not going to maximize your potential. And mm -hmm. I, I, I've got to feel like coming in and, and getting involved in a sport, something that you probably were passionate about and, or at least enjoyed, you know, helped you embrace what you were going to have to do to become as good as you were to be able to make varsity. Did you play beyond high school? Did you end up playing in college? Yeah, you know, I played. I played in college, and then after I college, I played for a little bit, semi-pro teams around. But um, so how did those experiences prepare you for where you're at today? Because I can sit back and give you dozens of examples of things that I learned through my lifetime of playing sports that prepared me for the business world. Dude, sports is is honestly, I want my kids to play sports, not because I want them to get a scholarship like every other parent. I want them to play sports because it teaches you life lessons, man, that is extremely difficult to learn by yourself or in, or, or in a different place. So for me, it was, dude, we were, we were dealing with adversity almost like in practice and during games, like every day you run into adversity. What are you going to do? You're going to quit or are you going to keep grinding through it? Like in college, man, waking up at 5 a.m. two or three times during the day to get to get ready for the season. You have these two a days, these three a days, conditioning and sprints and and all this stuff that you have to deal with, man. It just it just teaches you life lessons that, hey, giving up is not an option. And that kind of is one of the biggest lessons for me. And the teamwork, right? The teamwork is another piece of it. You learn how to talk to people. You learn how to relate with people. You learn to basically see success in other people's success, which is a huge lesson for you because other people score goals if you're on defense or back goalie or whatever, but you're, you're, you're you win as a team in soccer, right? Like one person scores a goal, but you as a team win. So that concept of it, we take that into work right now, man. Like we have a team goal and an individual goal. One of those have to be hit. So whether you want to help the team or you want to go by yourself, potentially you're, you're helping the team in one, in one shape or form. So Dealing with adversity, man, doing the teamwork stuff. Um, it's and then and then and then on top of it, 
uh, once you become a captain, then you kind of learn how to be a leader, right? It's one of the biggest reasons, man, I am who I am in our organization. And some of the some of the skills that I have today is from soccer, because I was a captain in high school. I was a captain during my club side. I was a captain in college. When you're a captain of like 22, 23 different people that are your age almost, but you have to basically lead them into, we call it a war right on the field. Um it, it, it's it's pretty cool, man. You learn a lot of different leadership lessons. So I would say those three things are extremely crucial for me. And I hope my kids get into it for those reasons as well. That's a pretty hard thing to do when you're when you're younger. I, I feel like leading people your own age is something you have to work at. You have to hone that craft. You know, it's it's different now. I think that it's easy for for me to be able to at least have some level some entry level respect from people because i've been in the industry for 20 years i've had some level of success that's outwardly visible to a certain degree so it makes it relatively easy to i shouldn't say easy but i feel like there aren't as many barriers to go in and begin to have some influence or teach people things that Mm -hmm. i want them to do processes or whatever else because it's assumed that I know what I'm doing. When you're that young, that you don't have enough life experience for mm-hmm. those assumptions to be valid. And it's really, really tough. And so, I, you know, I look back at when I was the captain of anything, it was usually because I was just the one who had the guts to step up and say, no, that's not the right way to do it. It needs to be done this way. And here's why. And over time, you start winning people over. But that's that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about leadership at that age um, for a little while now. And and to think through where I was, you know, and I was in an odd situation anyhow in school because I started school early. I graduated high school at 17. I didn't turn 18 to partway through my freshman year of college mm-hmm. because of how the birthday deadline hit. And that was, you know, one of the things Malcolm Gladwell talks about. I think it was in Outliers was why hockey players that were born in March are so much better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked against me, man, because when I graduated high school, I was 6'2", 190. When I was done with my freshman year of college, I was 6'4", 225. I wish I had the extra height and the extra weight my senior year of high school because it would have changed how I would have come out and maybe the decision I would have made to go play in the minors as opposed to going to college, which is what I ended up doing. So it, it's it's interesting to sit back and see because I feel like so many times – we can look back and it, it it unlocks the key to kind of how you got to where you're at. Sometimes we can look back, like a lot of people will say, aren't you upset you didn't go play pro ball if you had the opportunity? No, because if I say yes to that, then I don't have my wife. I don't have my kids. I don't have my agency. And those are the things that are important to me at this point. Was baseball important? Yeah, it was, but I kind of always knew that I wasn't ever going to, you know, I wasn't ever going to be, you know, Hall of Fame material. I was going to play until it was time for me not to play anymore and then I needed to be ready to do something else. I feel like it equipped me to do a lot of that stuff. It set me up. It taught me how to practice. It taught me what happens if you don't practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned learned the uh, definition of cardio my freshman year of college. <laughs> you know, when I show up for the first, first we- uh, week of fall practice and I walk into the gym and I've got my my bat bag and everything on my shoulder and coach says, son, all you need is a pair of running shoes. You're running steps for the next three hours in the Coliseum. 
come in and check in with me before you go home. And that's what we did, man. I was a pitcher. He His theory was strengthen your legs first because that's what's going to get you through the game. So for mm-hmm. month, several months, all I did was run up and down stairs for hours on end while people were in the cage or until it was my turn to pitch. But it, it's funny to look back because I don't know that I ever have, I don't know that I have a single regret for anything that's happened to me or anything that I've done because everything that I've done collectively has gotten me to where I'm at. I'm in a really good place in my mind. I, I'm really happy with where I am. Yeah, I think I think God's got a plan, man. He puts you into different situations because he wants you to go a certain way. I don't know if you, you, know, you believe in... Oh, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, man. Trust me. I was in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. And if they could have found three more times, I'd have been there then. You you would have been there. So it it, it is. I mean, I was going to go to Stanford. I got a full ride to go to Stanford and play soccer. And I, for the longest time, I thought, man, like, I wish I did. I would have been a different person, better player. Be obviously when you're around better players, you're just going to be a better person, right? For whatever, um, uh, whatever sport you're playing, what in the business, all that stuff. But I'm like, man, if that was the case, man, yeah, you're right, man. I wouldn't have met my wife. Maybe I stayed in California. I wouldn't have the kids. Wouldn't be in insurance. I'd be in banking, which is what I wanted to do. Like all that stuff would have completely gone a different direction. And it's just God's way of saying, man, this is where we need you. This is where you can make an impact in this world. And this is where we want you. And man, I'm glad to be here for sure. So do you think that there's been anything, and this is something that I'm unfortunately not privy to knowing because I'm the exact demographic that dominates the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. I know that. I I am the middle-aged white male (laughs) that owns the majority of the agencies out there. But looking at your ethnicity and your heritage and the circumstances that that brought you to the U.S., is there anything there that has made it more difficult for you in the insurance industry? Are there biases or prejudices that I'm not going to see because of, of my race and my nationality and all of that, that you've had to endure? What, what did that, has that looked like? Man, I remember walking into walking. And obviously I don't want you losing any carrier contracts or anything. So choose your words wisely, but I I think it's something that in in light of recent circumstances online, That conversation's out there now and it needs to happen. 100%. So I, this, I've already, I've already lost this contract. So don't worry. I walk into my office. It's my first day as a state farm agent. I walk in five, of my clients are sitting there and they come in like, Hey, what's your name? I said, you know, Cyrus Jaffe. And I have this thing that's from like, it's like a Bible thing or whatever. It's called Quran from my country on my desk. Right. And he's like, what is that? I'm like, Oh, that's Quran. I'm from Afghanistan. That's kind of like our Bible is, Whoa. Okay. Like we can't do business with you, man. I'm taking my, I'm taking my business and I'm going, I'm going somewhere else. We can't be doing business with you. And this is 2014. This is not far away, David. This is only eight years ago. I lost. It would, it would still happen today. It would just call it what it is. It would still happen today. Right. So by you saying that I make the assumption that you're Muslim or is there another Quran that's out there? No, I'm I'm Muslim. I'm Muslim, but I which, but I, which yeah. you have, you're you have every right to be. You know that's your decision. That that that's the religion that you follow. 100%. Follow it. You know what I mean? I, I just I don't understand. It just anyhow, I could go for days, but continue. <laughs> yeah. So that was my first thing in the business. I'm like, whoa, okay. So we really and and that happened every day, man. Every day that happened. It's almost to a point to where you had to like hide where you're from to gain some success. And then once you have some success, then it makes it a little bit easier. So it reminded me of like when I came here, right? 
find some success into something. People start liking you because you're good at something. And then you're going to be basically like, I'll never be one of them, right? I will never be because I'm I'm very open about it now. I have a book about it. Like, I'm like, hey, if you don't want to work, well, as you know, man, like you don't want every client anyways anymore. You know, I've, I've learned to to kind of live with that. But but it, but we still see it to today. It's still tough for, for me and obviously for um, for the women as well, which we're obviously dealing with that at this point. Um, it's both, it's, 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 it's a little bit tougher for both of us, man, because this industry is known, like you said, man, you, you didn't, this industry is a very, very heavy, you know, male 50, 60 years old. That's like literally like a lot of agents are. And for us, what the nice part about it is though, the nice part about it is it used to be a come to my office, sit with me kind of industry, very heavy. Now, at least it's a lot more virtual, right? There's some zoom calls and things like that. People do business with you. Property casualty, especially personalized, it's very price driven, right? So if you got the best rate, no, they don't really care who you are, I guess, at this point, as long as you have an agency and all this stuff. So it's a lot easier now, but it was pretty difficult, man, when I got going on it. Yeah. And I, I have to wonder, just in light of recent events with everything that's going on between Israel and Hamas right now, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, and you can please correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I'm, I'm by far would have no way of knowing other than you correcting me. But I feel like when we went through 9-11, there was like a massive shift in anti-Muslim thought process in the U.S. It was bad. Like mm-hmm. we went we went back to way we went way back. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't feel like. I don't feel like I've heard it as verbalized is what it was. I don't feel like I've seen it as outward is what it was. And for me, I never take that as the problem has gone away. It's just repackaging itself and it's making itself more difficult to find. So I won- I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, now that we're 20 some years removed, what, 22 years removed from 9-11, do you feel like that we've made progress in the U.S.? I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be, but do you feel more at peace with the fact that you're here, that you're more accepted? And do you feel like it's that way across the border? It's because you have had some level of success and people are accepting that, not necessarily the heritage or who you are. Uh, and that was a bad question. That was a tough question, man. And I'm sorry to do it, but I think it's important that the audience hear that. And then we're going to go talk about quotamation and, and we'll, we'll do easy stuff. Uh, here. No, I, I would say it's gotten a lot easier. It's gotten a lot easier. It really has. And, and, and I think it's because social media talks about it, right? A lot of people, social media, one of the best thing it's done is got all these things come to light. They bring them up right on. So everybody talks about it and everybody. And the thing, the one thing about situations, tough situations is there's got to be some communication. People need to talk about it. You can have your opinion. Like, I'm not saying you don't have to have your opinion by any means. But be educated when you have it, you know what I mean? Some level. Be educated, know the facts, and then you can have your opinion. Like we understand not everyone is going to like us, man. It is what it is. We understand, to be honest with you, David, not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. Guaranteed. I can promise you that. Yep. But disrespect is a different story, right? Like we don't have to disrespect David. You don't have to disrespect Cyrus. You don't have to disrespect all these people. You can have your opinion, this side, that side, all that stuff, but it has gone better, man. It has gone better because everybody's talking about it. And I hope everybody keeps talking about it. Know the facts. And I don't think it will come in my life, but at one point, man, I'm hoping we come to a place where we're all humans, man. A little bit different color. Me and you look the same, man. We're the same color, right? We're pretty close. Yeah, seriously. 
You know, so we're the same humans. It's the same thing. Everybody's doing the same thing. We all bleed red, brother. That's it. We all bleed red. And I hope everything turns out well um, with, with what's happening over there, man. I feel terrible for those families because here's the thing. There's so many Cyruses, David, today. There's so many of my brothers, Ahmad, Bobbies, that are in other countries right now, escaping from Afghanistan, from Palestine, from all these places, man. And to, to have a book out there or to maybe I could be maybe just a person that can go up there and say, listen, you're going to come here. It's going to suck. But I promise you, man, 20 years from now, maybe you'll be sitting here in an organization with 130 people and giving jobs to a lot of people in this in this community and doing all these great things. So I, I just hope there's a little a little bit of light I can shine with my book and my podcast and everything that I'm talking about to help those people because there's some great people, man. Those people are hard workers. Oh, guaranteed. I mean, my my virtual professionals are all Muslim and all from over in that part of the world. And I told him up front, I'm like, I'm gonna give you guys a warning. I'm the type of person that if I don't know the answer to something, I'm going to ask it. So I got a lot mm. of questions for you Muslims. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do. I have a lot of questions about your religion. If you're okay with it, let's, let's have a conversation. And guess what? It was no different than me sitting on a park bench, waiting on my wife to finish shopping somewhere, talking to a mm. complete stranger about anything else in life. And we make things like that weird, man. We make it weird when we don't know, but we don't search for the answers. And if we do, most of the time we're searching for the answers somewhere on the internet, not going to a source who's close to us, right? So I think um, I, I think you're right, 100%. Those discussions need to happen, and we need to be okay with having them. You know, I would rather be able to have a conversation with someone who's different with me than me with the attempt to understand their point of view, where they're coming from, how they're mm -hmm. conditioned, than not, you know? Absolutely. And maybe part of that's because I'm in sales and I'm used to asking a lot of questions to find out if this is going to make sense. But I just feel like we all need to do a better job and I'll leave it at that. So listen, you're in your agency. You guys yep. are starting to gain some momentum. Yep. And you decided you've got an idea that's going to make you more efficient, help you with your processes. Talk a little bit about that and what led you to develop your, your tech that you're using and then ultimately monetize that and get it out to other agents to make their lives easier too. Yeah, 100%. So when we started about four years ago, I came on this channel from, from, from obviously Captive Channel, State Farm, came to the Independent Channel. One of the first things that I noticed was, man, it, it's like two hours of work to get a personalized home and auto quote. You got to go to six different places, go here, go here and all this stuff. And it was a nightmare, you know, coming from captive, you go to one place, you do one thing. And I would assume everybody that's coming in on this channel from captive, that's the biggest hurdle. They're like, whoa, it's kind of shocker, right? 20 different companies. You got to go to the Raider, AMS, CRM, all this stuff to log in information. So for me, that wasn't okay. You know, we had to do 30,000 quotes in 2023 um, because we have some joint ventures with real estate, mortgage, credit unions, and then our own agencies as well. 12 different agencies were running inside of our organization. I was like, man, I got to hire 40 insurance agents. And David, you know, hiring 40 insurance agents and managing them is a completely full-time job. I needed three people just to manage those three people, those 40 people. I said, it's either that or we got to go find a tech platform to be able to quote these policies for us, pull the data that we need. So we basically, we said, you know what? We looked everywhere. Some things exist that do some parts of it, but the nothing exists that went from start to finish quoting 
David Carruthers, just with your first name, last name, date of birth address, pulls all your vehicles, vehicles, drivers, and all that information, house information, takes it to the carrier's website, and it makes it look really, really pretty as well. Because UI is extremely important because um, first impression is obviously very, very important to a lot of to the consumer and to us. So we we hired a technology team internally here in Omaha, and we hired a, a, a designer. They both sat here for about six to eight months with our staff, and they went through it. Okay, what do we do here? How do we plug it in here? What does this kind of look like? Why did you ask this question? Why did you ask that question? And we wanted to do that because everybody that's building tech these days are tech people. They come from outside the industry or they're, they're, they have a lot of money and they're like, hey, insurance is making a lot of money. Let's go build it. But they don't know what the deep root of the problem is. Why do you got to ask this question? Why do you ask the coverage question? Why do you got to put a UM in New Mexico? Like, what does that mean? Why is there a click there, right? Like, they don't understand that there's rules and regulations and all these things to make an agent's life easier. So that's where we come in, man. So we say, you know, we're going to build this product. We built it for ourselves. It saves us about an hour and a half of just data entry and all this stuff. It's on our website. People can get quotes online in literally 60 seconds. It makes it really easy. The flow of leads from the consumer coming to us is extremely easy. The problem is a lot of Gen Zs and millennials, David, they don't want to wait for a call, give you give you VIN numbers, give you all the information. They don't know the house they bought, to be honest with you. They don't know the score footage and the bathrooms and the bedrooms and how how tall their ceiling is like. They don't know any of that information. And it's pointless for us to keep asking these questions because you're not building a relationship, right? PNC, man, it's pretty pretty cut and dry, man. You beat them on price most of the times, and then we build a relationship. Because at the end of the day, it's hard for us a lot of times to build a relationship when they're shopping around and you got 20 minutes with them. How are you going to build a relationship? It's not like commercial, right? So we said, we got to build something to pull all that data. So it gives them 20 minutes to build a relationship with the consumer. Once we find them the deal, we close it. Then we start building the relationship. So that's why Quotimation came about. All of our friends called us and said, dude, it looks great on your website. You can get a quote really in 60 seconds. You can send it to the lenders. They could do it. Real estate agents can send you referrals now. Can we do it as well? And we said, well, maybe we can white label the product. And we went on to work on the white labeling part of it. And now it's white labeled. So any anybody can pretty much any agency that has um, right now a comparative Raider connection with EasyLinks. And we just had a conversation with PL Raider, which is Vertifor on Thursday to hopefully get their API. So we just connect right into your Raider. We become your Raider. It looks really nice. It's on your website. And um, I think it's going to save everybody, man, about an hour and a half per quote is what we have seen them save time for. I watched you do it, man. I watched you demo it. It's as slick as it could possibly get. Let me ask you this before we get too far away from that. How, how do people learn more about that? Where do they go to to see what you've built? Yeah, they can honestly email me, Cyrus, at teamcyrus.com. You can go to quotamation.com, Q-U-O-T-A-M-A-T-I-O-N.com. Just go right there, say schedule a demo. My Calendly will pop up. I'll demo you the product. It's honestly, we did it to help the agency channel. Um, and I hope that a lot of agencies could use this product. Uh, and the reason I say that is because the fact that we are still, our agents are still taking an hour of data entry. And I know a lot of people have virtual people that do all that stuff. It blows my mind, man, because agents should be building relationships, finding you sales, generate revenue generating, not so much of the data entry stuff, man. Let the technology do that work and, and, and save you a ton of money and time.
man, we've hit a lot. What have we missed? <laughs> um, man, I, I would say if for some reason you guys need any help on the JV side of, uh, of, uh, credit unions, real estate, mortgage, any of that stuff, man, we do a lot of those and would love to, would love to help some agents. I've been on demos left and right in the last month, helping some agents with that, guiding them to what to do on the tech side. Of course, we would love to help, but man, I'm, I'm a helper, man. If I could help with anything, I, I would love to, I would love to help. So. Well, talk about that for a second. How did you end up getting into the credit unions and all of that. I'm interested. Yeah. In those JVs, because I've got experience doing that, not not at the same scale. And in fact, I think you and I maybe even have talked about this, uh-huh. like going back a couple of years uh-huh. about yep. how we had set set our deal up. So talk, yep. talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yes. Yeah, so for... So, so the JV side of things, man, we, we do all of our business came from a realtor more than like 95% of my own agency's business comes from a realtor or a mortgage officer. So kind of a mentality of, man, I'd rather have a, a, a slice of a watermelon than a full strawberry mentality, man. You know, like we go for the mortgage teams that have 50 to a hundred deals a month versus going to mortgage lender to send you a referral or direct to consumer knocking on doors to get a lead. You know, so how easy is it to go to a team that sends you 50 to 100, build a relationship with those people versus building a relationship with one real estate agent or just knocking on doors, cold calling, buying a bunch of leads? It's the best way to build your book. But at the same time, um, obviously, you'd have to have a joint venture with real estate and the mortgage team. Yeah, you give a little piece of it to them. But at the same time, you can build a very, very, very large um, agency, if that's what you're looking for, and make a bigger impact, man. The more people you help, the more impact you make, and and this industry is all about helping, man. That's great. So your new book's coming out. How much longer before the big day? A uh, one 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 one. It will be coming out one one. And what's the title? So the title is Win Every Day. Win Every Day. All right, so here we go, people. You know how I roll on the podcast. This is like the third one in a row. We've had a lull for a while, but we've we've got another author on here. For the first 12 people, I do a dozen every time. For the first 12 people that follow my directions, this is the important part because i got to have you do it this way. It's the only way I can make this happen on my end because I physically do the address labels myself, and I don't want to have to do any more work, I will send you a free copy of Cyrus's book, Win Every Day. Here's what I need you to do. You need to email me at david at killingcommercial.com. Pay attention, not Florida Risk Partners, Killing Commercial. That email inbox has much less velocity. David at killingcommercial.com. In the subject line, Win Every Day. And in the body, your name and your address to not tell you how many people send me emails and you get it to the right email address and you get the subject line right. But I have no clue who you are or where I'm sending this thing. Give me your name and your address in there. You don't I mean, look, if you want to have a conversation on email, I'll I'll reply back to whatever you send me. But if you want a book, make sure you follow those directions. Cyrus, I appreciate you coming on, man. Your story. um, is inspiring. I love seeing what you're doing in the industry. You and I could not be any more different as far as what we're going after, but much respect to everything that you've got going on and how you've built it. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of people who can learn from your story, whether it be just in life or in the insurance industry. 
specifically. And I'm glad we were able to have a conversation for just a little bit that we could share with them. And if you got something out of this, let Cyrus know, man. How do they how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, man. I'm I'm on social media, Cyrus Jaffrey, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, man. Find me on there or Cyrus at Team Cyrus. Would love to talk to anybody, man. That's what I love the most about this industry is the people that I talk to, man. And I don't hide anything, man. I share everything I can because I do stuff black and white to share it. So that's awesome. Well, listen, man, we're going to try and get rid of a dozen of your books to the people who need them the most. And those are the people who know how to follow directions. The rest of y'all are on your own. <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on, man. Everybody, thanks for listening and tuning in. We hope you make it a great new year and we will catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.